0: This is Werewolf the Podcast. Imagine. Imagine Atlantic City. Imagine HLGcon. The boardwalk, the beach, the hotels, the casinos. Imagine an old hotel Renovated, restored, open to the public in a way it never was before. Now imagine a series of quirky, intense, and interesting event rooms. Imagine the coolest bar you've ever wanted to host a LARP in. And that's the Showboat. HLGCon is happening October 12th through the 14th of 2018 in the Showboat Hotel and Resort in Atlantic City. We'll have LARP, tabletop, board games, and more. We've struck a deal with several LARP studios to run a blockbuster LARP pandemonium that'll be unlike any other event in 2018. Find us on the web at hlgcon.com. Come join us. Imagine it, and we'll make it a reality.
1: Welcome to the newest episode of Werewolf the Podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Werewolf Player's Guide First Edition. Now, I've been trying to record this particular podcast for about a month now. So hopefully we can get through it really quickly. The Werewolf Player's Guide is the last book that we're going to be reviewing of the first edition books. And it came out in 1993, right before second edition dropped. So we're going to be talking about Werewolf Player's Guide... I'm going to do an episode on storytelling in first edition werewolf, and then we're going to probably be hopping right into second edition stuff, which is really exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Now, this particular book has a ton of authors and people involved in the creation. I'm not actually going to go through and read them all, but highlights include um, Sotirios Rucato, Sam Chupp, Mark Reinhagen, Andrew Greenberg, T.O.N., Travis Williams, and others. There's a ton of people that put time, love, and energy into this book. And with it being over 200 pages, and for first edition, that's a big book. You can see why. And this book includes a ton of content. It has eight chapters, an afterward chart of gifts, story at the beginning. So there's a ton of material here uh, to touch on. The first chapter is expanded character creation options. You have the nature and demeanor section, which you have in um, in the vampire rules, but you didn't have it right off in the werewolf rules. So they give it to you here. If you want to kind of deepen the understanding you have for your personality of the character that you're creating. There's also a a large segment on merits and flaws, and this is the first time you have a large merits and flaws segment in one of these books. So all of the merits and flaws that you're going to see in all of the later books are here. There are, of course, some that get changed, some that stay pretty much the same, some that get removed because they just don't make a whole ton of sense but they're here as options if you want to dive into them there are really some cool i mean in general there's some cool merits cool flaws things to help you give your character options that are interesting to dive into one of my favorites is band transformation it's something that i generally take for my characters and i do so because i think that adds an interesting element that there's just this thing that keeps you from shifting forms. And it might be something like soothing music or you can't change during the day, or if you can't see the moon, Maybe there's something thematically interesting about that. So from a flaw perspective, that's one of my favorites that's in here. It uh, is a little bit different than it is in later editions, but not massively. So one to check out. If I were to pull out one and say, Hey, Check out this particular um, flaw. There are Geru flaws and merits. There are human flaws and merits here. There are physical, mental, social. There's just a ton of different stuff. It goes on for ages. Then it gets into uh, planetary aspects of the Geru and um, merits and flaws. And I don't remember seeing any sort of zodiac astrology. Astrology elements of Werewolf aren't really dived into in later books, but there's a ton of interesting merits and flaws for the different star signs that fit the Greek um, system of astrology. I think that's really interesting. That's something I might use. I might pull that out of first edition and say, hey, like you have these different options. Uh, I think that could be an interesting thing to dive into. There's a segment here on metastifigurements. If that's uh, something you think you need more of, there are some different options here. There are a slew of new abilities, different talents, skills, and knowledges. This is really helpful for just having specific uh, specialist-type characters if you want to have very specific things that aren't present in any of the other books up to this point. There's some new gifts, new Hamid gifts, new Metas gifts, new Lupus gifts. So there's a ton of those options. There's a ton of um, different tribal gifts presented here. There are different moon sign gifts presented here. So all in all, this is a long chapter of different things that you can dig into Specifically, most of these gifts that are in here are camp gifts. And in this book is the first time you see the camps as well. Camps are like sub-segments of the individual tribes that have specific focuses. Um, For example, one of them is the Judges of Doom camp, which is a camp for the the Shadow Lords. I knew I would would get there (laughs) eventually. It's been one of those days, one of those couple of weeks. But um, Summon Stormcrow is a gift for the Judges of Doom camp within the Shadow Lord tribe. So, interesting gift. Uh, It ends up being a regular gift for the Shadow Lords in later books, which is good to note. Like, there's some stuff here that gets updated in later editions, much like all of the first edition material. One of the odd choices here is that the Ice Hearts, the Wendigo, tribe uh, are given a level 4 gift that causes Garu to go into Parhorano, and I'm not sure I understand the reasoning for this, and I don't think I like the implication of some of the flavor text around it, but I found that interesting. That that was uh, something that doesn't seem in keeping with the tribe's focus, but if that's something you want to dive into, dive into the different camps, you can do so. There are different rites here. Uh, There are rites that Again, you're going to see some of these brought over into the core books later on because people realize, oh wait, no, these are kind of essential concepts to this tribe. We're going to bring that in. Then chapter two is specifically about the tribes and about the camps within the tribes. So you learn a little bit more about the individual tribes. And these are sort of like miniature tribe books. And Since we're going to be reviewing the tribe books pretty soon, I'm not going to dive too deeply into each of these segments, but imagine all 13 tribes have them. They each have two to three camps at least. They explain a little bit more about the cultural elements of the particular tribe. They focus in on the stereotypes of 1st edition, and I want to emphasize the stereotype nature because I think 1st edition is particularly bad for really leaning hard into stereotypes over more fluid cultural elements that uh, that you'll see a little bit in later editions. Of course, I don't think it ever gets perfect. Once this sort of thing's set down, it's hard to backtrack effectively and retcon things. Um, if they're kind of a built-in <laughs> already written about a tribe or a... Um, a segment of the IP—it's hard to dig in and change it as ag- as aggressively as we may want to do so. That's it. Chapter three: the Sept, and this is the first time you get some really in-depth information about what Geru society is outside of the module books, where module books kind of describe stories that happened around the Sept and around moots and what those mean. But this gives you the structure for them. It gives you the structure of a moot. It talks about how they begin, the opening howl. It talks through all of the different steps that happen in a normal moot. And moots get changed as this game kind of progresses. It's really different in the live-action role-playing, the newest live-action role-playing work from By Night Studios, which I think could be something to check out. But you get... Elements here that are really essential to werewolf culture, how to run werewolf life for your characters. There's uh, information on litany and trials and what trials for litany violations look like. You find out about the Silver Pack and we've talked about the Silver Pack in some of the modules a little bit and uh, the Silver Pack is young Garu that are particularly chosen to be like the head pack almost of the Garu Nation. They are not leaders within it. They are a group of Garu that are chosen to do specific missions. And it's a little bit vaguely written here if each sept has a silver pack or if there is a single silver pack chosen for the nation. I read this as each sept has a silver pack, but There might be others that would say, no, no, the silver pack is actually something that serves the nation. And if you want to go that way, it can be an interesting story. I'm not going to dive into the storytelling elements of that too much, but I think it's interesting to note uh, that you could do that with this. There's a segment on hierarchy and dominance and what they call face down in this and what is later called uh, stare down challenges and how... Wolves and werewolves kind of show each other their skill without having to hurt one another. It's sort of reminiscent of the way some, um, some warriors in Japan were supposedly able to decide who would win a combat based on how they drew their sword that may or may not be apocryphal, but in the end, it's a non-lethal way of proving dominance. And there's rules given for that. There's rules given for GameCraft and for Renown. Now, and again, this Renown system is the Renown. That's hundreds of points for different activities that you've done. So it changes drastically when you get up uh, into different editions. There's a segment on pictograms, and this is probably the only place I've seen explanations for these pictograms. In later books, these pictograms are just given to you. You're, you are shown them in different elements of the media but they're not explained what they mean and some of you can figure out from some context clues but there are symbols for the different elements of the rite in here for honor for wisdom for glory for the rite of passage there are fetish glyphs there's geographic glyphs there are creature glyphs and spiritual glyphs there's a glyph for the deep umbra and for spirits these are things that werewolf players should know at least have like an idea of. They don't have to be experts on it, but if you hand them a glyph, it would be cool if they knew already to some degree what it was about and why it's important. So I'm kind of surprised, and I might be wrong, this might be in another book, but this is the only place I can remember seeing it. Werewolf Player's Guide First Edition. So down the road, if I say, oh hey, look, this is here again, we'll be excited about it. But for now, if you want the glyph information go back and grab this book for that because it's useful for that there's an entire chapter chapter four on cairns and here you get rules on how you build a cairn what uh, a cairn's power is like and why what types of cairns there are what types of spirits and power cairns and how you get a cairn how you like get a spirit to become your cairn spirit Um, You get information on creating worm cairns, so that's useful if you're a storyteller, even though this is a player's book. It's useful to have this information as a storyteller for creating your antagonists as well. And you're given the duties of the different werewolves in caring for the cairn. And you learn about the segments of the cairn, the bond, the graves of hallowed heroes. You learn about the warder and the guardians. These are the first time that these things are really explicitly explained. And that's super helpful. It's kind of something that really should have been in the core book, if you ask me. But if you don't have that, you have it here. And it's good enough to dig into and pull that information out. Chapter 5 is on the Umbra. I'm not going to belabor the point because we actually already did the Umbra book Um, or it says Umbra in the chapter title, and then it gives you a list of fetishes and talons. And then it gets into some spirit elements and places in the Umbra. This is good if you don't also have the Umbra book and you want to have some of this information, but honestly, you should have the Umbra book. If you're running a story um, in Werewolf, and we'll talk about this in our storytelling episode, but I think the specific books you have to have as a Werewolf storyteller are the core book. The Player's Guide, the Book of the Worm, and the Umber Book. We'll talk about that more, why I think that, in the next episode. So, Chapter 6 is where things go different. They, I wouldn't say they go off the rails, they go in a different direction. Um, chapter 6, they start talking about the Pharaoh. And this is the first time the Fera are fully sort of described in Werewolf. There are some segments we talked about in the Amazon book and a couple of the other books where they're referenced. And this is where this review got kind of weird where some of these books were, you know, put to me out of order. So I didn't review this prior to reviewing right across the Amazon, but it's not a major issue. The point is, you have all of the different Pharah presented here. You have the Nuisha, the Coyotes. You have uh, all of the information you would need to play them. You have the Garal, the werebears, all the information you would need to play them. And I'm not going to get into describing these different Farrah now, but we will be going down the road into the different Fera books that talk about um, the different types of Pharah themselves. But it's helpful to know that in first edition, if you're running a first edition game, that you could pull this out and you could run these um, characters pretty easily. Uh, there are I'm going through these just so you know what's in here, but all of them are here. The like Korax, um, who are the Were-Ravens, all the information you would need to play them, the different form information, specific merits and flaws. So if you're interested in saying, okay, well, I want you to be able to play the Bastet, or I want um, to maybe use these as antagonists or different character options to pull in, that you could grab this player's guide and very easily do so. You have information on the ratkin in here. You have, I think, everything, even including the Rokea, And I'm kind of, I'm flipping through this while we're recording. So why it's a little bit, oh, like here is the next thing. But the McCole, the where alligators are in here. You don't have as much information as you'll get eventually in their breed book, but you have everything you would need to at least have these characters be present. Yeah, you have the Rokea, you have the Ananasi, and it's odd that the Ananasi are the last group reference in here because the rest of them are alphabetical, and I think that might have been, and this is just a guess, that they got created last as a um, as a group And they were like, okay, cool, we want to add these in. They had everything else already kind of laid out, and they dropped them in there. That's just a random guess, of course. Chapter 7 gets into systems, um, specifically how rage works, explanations of a little bit more about how rage works, using Vampire 2nd Edition, which has a different combat system, and utilizing that in Werewolf. So there was already some preparation for this is what... Werewolf 2nd Edition is going to look like with what's presented in this Player's Guide. And remember, this Player's Guide came out not so long before 2nd Edition would have come out, so a lot of the updates that they've been making in the other game, in Vampire and probably Mage and things like that at this point, were at least hitting these books, and they were going, okay, hey, like here's some other options. There's also a segment in here about creating claves, and I think this is the most complete Clave creation system up until you get an entire book about creating claves, and that's going to be a revised book. It was a very late revised book, it wasn't a, uh, We'll talk about that when we get to it. But I don't, uh, I don't think it was a great book. But we'll discuss it in more depth. You get information on computers in here, and remember, this is 1993. Computers were a thing for people that were into them. But most people were kind of like, computers are a thing I don't really have any sort of interaction with. They weren't the ubiquitous phone in our pocket that we have today. But there's some information on using computers within the world of darkness, on what aging looks like. There's this whole segment on what aging does to the werewolves. And werewolves live a lot longer than regular humans because of the healing factor. So it's interesting to see some of what uh, what aging looks like for them if they survive that long. Chapter 8 is about role-playing, and it's a set of essays. Uh, there's an essay by Mark Reinhagen where he describes why Werewolf, and why he created Werewolf, and what it means to him, and the spirituality elements of Werewolf, and how important that was to him and why from a holy cow, you should just read this to understand the point of this game, I really suggest reading these essays. There's one by William Spencer Hale. There's one by Jay Morrison. And there's, of course, the one um, by Mark Ryan Hagen and Sam Chupp. Andrew Greenberg has one. Stephen Brown has one. And they all give you things that are essential information about werewolf, and why werewolf, and how they envisioned people playing werewolf. And of course, you can play werewolf in any way that works for you, but I would recommend reading those essays to really understand the core thinking of the game, particularly with the possibility of a new edition of werewolf coming out. It would be cool to be able to dig into that and know, okay, this is what the game is for these folks, for the creators. There's uh, an afterword here. And the afterword is specifically about the apocalypse and about the end of the world. So that book doesn't come out for another, geez, at this point it would have been 10, 12 years before that book finally comes out. But they're already thinking, we created this game with the idea that the end was coming. What does the end look like if you decide to tell that story? Well, we're gonna talk about that more in the storytelling episode. Now, as I mentioned before, there's a, uh, a segment that is just gifts and just a, like a layout chart of different gifts and where you can find them and their basic rules that's in here, which makes it super easy if you're like, hey, I just want to find X, Y, and Z gift, go by the level, Go alphabetically, find the gift you're looking for, and then you've got your rules for it. And You don't have to find the specific thing in the specific book about that gift. Werewolf Player's Guide gets a 8 out of 10. Lots of this stuff gets, uh, gets updated, but there are things here that are not present in other books that I think make it worth it. So if you're running Werewolf, I would say grab the first edition Werewolf Player's Guide and have it on your shelf. Use it, read the essays, look at the glyphs and some of that information there. Have this as a, as a thing in the background. You don't need to pull it out and use it in your game every you know week. But you definitely can grab it and utilize it when it's appropriate. And it's going to give you something that other books aren't necessarily going to give you. So 8 out of 10, Werewolf Player's Guide First Edition. This has been Werewolf Podcast. I'm Josh Heath, the host. As always, feedback, concerns, questions are
2: always welcome. You can send those to me. Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts, or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, One which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want. Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.